As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to Football and Grits. Uh, a little different this week. We gave you guys uh, kind of what you're used to the first couple weeks. Uh, we had to we had to ease into the season, Brody. But we're here. You can't show we're our faces too soon, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're live now. Uh, we're on YouTube. Uh, it should be fun. We'll be here every Monday, uh, barring something crazy. But most Mondays, 10 a.m. You can uh, set your watch by it. Uh, we're talking SEC football, and Brody. You know, amnesia is a problem in college football media. Uh, and college football fandom, I think. And it's so easy to forget the Alabama team of 2021. And that team, for most of the year, looked really beatable. They were begging people to beat them. We saw it. Uh, LSU, Arkansas, of course, the Iron Bowl. Uh, and then the Georgia debacle happened in the SEC Championship, and all was kind of forgiven, and people forgot how flawed that Alabama team was. And Brody, when I watched Alabama in their first real test, I would say, of, of 2022, that team looked a lot like the team from last year. Uh, they have a lot of issues up front on the offensive line, which is kind of a big deal. Uh, obviously, they have a special talent in Bryce Young, but they just don't have the game-breaking receivers. They don't have the wide receivers. What, what do we make of Alabama? Because I came away from that game thinking – not so much that Texas is going to be a game changer, but that Alabama, again, looks really mortal. Yeah, I think mortal's probably – because it's like I don't think I'm leaving this game thinking, oh, I'm concerned about Alabama as much as mm-hmm. I entered this season, and I think you did as well, thinking they are the juggernaut, thinking like yeah. this is the Bama team that's going to – shoot, might even be as good as 2020. You know, they were going to be amazing. And I still think they're probably one of the two or three best teams in the country, probably maybe even the best by like an inch. But now it's they are in that group with Georgia and Ohio State or whatever. They are now, it is now, they're vulnerable and there's no number one juggernaut that I'm scared of because, and I think we get in this rhythm, right? And Alabama's earned this rhythm, so I don't think we're wrong, but of because they've proven it for 15 years, because of this benefit, the doubt they've earned, that whenever they have like an issue one year, you just kind of assume the next year that's better. Like you <laughs> think it works it. <laughs> in cycles. Yeah. Like it worked. Yeah. It's like, okay. O-line was a little iffy in 21. Okay. Next year. They're all better like that. And I thought this defense was going to be elite. Still think it's really good. I, I And I just thought, okay, these pieces are going to be so much better. And to your point, you know, I was at that LSU Bama game. It didn't look that different from that last year where the line of scrimmage got beat. Bryce Young just had to kind of make stuff happen by being good at football and they kind of uglied it out. So I'm not panicking about Bama, but to your point, they are mortal. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think we've gotten so used to watching Georgia and Alabama. I think Georgia last year plays a really good Arkansas team and just embarrasses them. And we've seen that these elite teams, Georgia and Bama, the gap has been so wide where you're watching them and you're saying, man, there's only two or three teams, two or three games all season that that team can lose. And even that is going to be a stretch. That is not going to be the case this year. I think we'll see on Georgia. I, I suspect that Georgia is still occupying that territory. Yeah. Um, now that said, Alabama still does have the athletes to go toe to toe with Georgia that a lot of teams don't. 
but Alabama is not in that territory. I think we're going to see again, you know, if Alabama goes 10 and two, we shouldn't be absolutely floored. We shouldn't be sitting there wondering, well, how is this happening? Uh, you know, we should be watching and saying, Hey, it's happening because Alabama doesn't have the team that can just put up 60 points on everybody. Because when you can do that, it's hard for a lot of teams to stay with you. But the reality is when you have a Bama team right now, that is probably going to struggle. I think to put up 30 points on a lot of teams this year, Ooh. you're a couple turnovers away from a very, very different game and a couple bad bounces and a couple injuries away from 10 and two. That's kind of where we're at with Bama that, that this is not, this is not looking like a team that's elite. Now I will say they're still putting some pieces together. Yeah. They can still improve. That's definitely a possibility, but as it stands, you know, you, if you're looking around the sec and you're in that second tier, that Kentucky, that Texas A&M, that LSU, uh, well, maybe not LSU, but that Tennessee, that <laughs> yeah. Florida, that Florida, that Florida space, you got to feel pretty good because you're like, you know, I'm looking up at, at Alabama and I don't see a team that if, if my team makes it to Atlanta by some, you know, uh, some act of God, you get past Georgia, the SEC East, Bama's beatable. And, and that has not been the case in a lot of years. And so we'll see. But I, I think you look at it, and, and I wrote about it this morning on The Athletic uh, for my uh, SEC uh, sort of review piece that I kind of do every week. And there are a ton, Brody, a ton of concerning numbers for Alabama. I think I start with Alabama controlled that game, but they didn't really control it because they couldn't run the ball. And I think the, the more concerning thing about that is they knew they couldn't run the ball. They, they snapped the ball, Brody, in the second half 38 times. They ran it with a running back seven times, and they had one run longer than three yards, and it was four yards. They could not, and, and you have Jameer Gibbs, you have Jace McClellan back there. Other than the Jace McClellan 81 yard uh, run, they gave it to the back 16 times, 42 yards, 2.6 yards a carry. Now, Texas's defense, we don't know what they're like, but this is still Alabama, but they just could not uh, really do a whole lot. And then, of course, 14 of Bryce Young's 27 completions, Brody, to tight ends or running backs. Yeah. That's not real explosive. Yeah. I know if you're not, if you, you know, a lot of Cam Latu, a lot of really uh, creative ways to get Jameer Gibbs the yeah. ball. But if your O-line can't just say, hey, guess what? We're bigger and we're better than you. We're going to carve up some holes, and Jameer Gibbs is going to get six or seven yards a clip. That's a problem. And we saw them do that to Cincinnati last year. We saw them do that to Ole Miss last year. They'll be able to do it to some people. But they don't look like a team that's going to be able to do it to a lot of people. So I'm not sounding the alarm bells, but I'm saying if Bama drops a game or two, people should not be, you know, how did this happen? How did this happen? It's because the O-line has major issues, and they don't have the receiver group. Six first-round picks in four years, they don't have that. They don't have that guy this year. He's just not there. Yeah, and it's like and, – and Josh Sibley, you know, uh, as a comment here saying, is this just Texas jumping on Bama early in the season? Probably a little bit of that. Also a little bit of, like, as much as we're t- – I do want to give credit to Texas, you know, like, because we've always talked about they always have talent. They're always in the top 10-ish recruiting-wise. They have talent. They're not, like, some scrub. So give them credit that they look like a team that could control that line. And mm-hmm. honestly, we didn't even mention when Quinn Ewers was in that game – Texas probably would have won that game. They were picking no questions. Me, I don't even think it's close. Yours was awesome. Like I, it's one of those things where you wanted to hate on that hype, and it's like no, 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 that was (laughs) awesome. Uh, But the thing I will say is, first off, a little bit credit to Texas, and I'm with you. I think you're framing it right that it's not that we're saying Bama's not going to win the title or whatever. We're saying don't be surprised if they lose. But the only again, the benefit of the doubt club is what I always say, and it's like. I will look at last year's team. There was not a single moment last year where I thought Bama until the SEC title game, where I thought Bama was good enough to win a title. They looked like an above average SEC team. And then Nick Saban, and again, common sense, right? This isn't great podcasting, but Nick Saban gets teams better throughout the year. The benefit of the doubt club, because a lot of coaches, you do not have that built in trust. I think Nick Saban will get this team better because they did not look good last year. And then they convincingly won the SEC title game and were a few, um, Georgia deserved to win the title, but Bama was right there with them all game and could have won a title. And it would have would have felt valid. It wouldn't have felt like a fluke. So mm-hmm. I think they'll get better. I'm not going to overreact, but I think we're on the same page of it's vulnerable. And and that's a good thing for college football in a way, because we all, I mean, we, were, we host an SEC show. And we talk every week about it's, yeah, but Bama. Like we talk in different 
categories. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, aside from Bama, I like A&M. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, and now it's like, you know what? It's still probably Bama, but it's, you can actually talk about the SEC in a real way now. And hand up, I was one of those that thought Bama was going to get smacked in the SEC title. Bama looked like fraud yeah. is a strong word, but coasting off of reputation more than what was actually happening on the field. And sloppy, um, by the way. That's the other thing we haven't mentioned. But yeah, game, 15 too. penalties. 15 I, penalties. I, I'm going to go, I'm going to say that that is an anomaly. I think that you can fix literally from week to week. The O line stuff you can't fix. I don't think yeah. you can fix that. Uh, I think when you play good fronts, I think Bama's going to have issues. And the amount of times that uh, Bryce Young was running for his life against Texas, part scheme, part losing one-on-ones. Um, Bama, dare I say, Brody, is interesting this year. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Well, getting to the rest of the league, before we do that, uh, Brody, first of all, it's uh, it's good to be live. I'm going to call this my, my Jordan flu game. I am oh, not no. sick. I am not sick, Brody. But oh, – yes. uh, you know, we we were talking about this briefly last night. Do you do you know what hand, foot, and mouth disease is? Because it's until about the, three days ago, I did not. It's one of those things I've heard about my entire life. But if you asked me to describe it, I'd be lying to you. So, so as we me. so as we've mentioned on previous shows, uh, I have a young a young child of three months at the house, and uh, she has come down with it. And essentially, Brody, it's like a trifecta of all the worst things possible that can happen to a baby without being like really serious. Yeah. Okay. Essentially. They get like sores in their mouth, so they don't really want to eat. So they're drooling everywhere. So then they can't sleep because they're uncomfortable, but then they don't want to eat. So they're hungry all the time, which results in them just being angry and screaming constantly, basically. It, <laughs> it just sounds babies, like a disease made to make parents' lives. Awful. It's rough, man. I mean, it's and bad I, for the baby, too. We've but, had a pretty easy, we, she's been a pretty easy baby thus far. But this weekend, trying to navigate, paying attention to the games trying to get some sleep. Uh, she's waking up like every hour and a half. Like, I think I went to bed thanks to BYU and Baylor and uh, Fresno and Oregon State and Mississippi State and Arizona. I think I went to bed at like three yeah. on Saturday and got up at like nine. Uh, it was not great. So we're, we're struggling. You're rallying, man. Listen, I mean, the thing, yeah, we got to push through. <laughs> we, do it for the re- we do it for the listeners, Brody. We do it for the listeners. Uh, Absolutely. So anyway, the rest of the league, Brody, we learned a lot, and I think this is the time of year where we're trying to figure out who we are even these said teams. going into this week. It was like, this is going to be answers week, right? Yes. Yeah. Who are these teams? And I think the number one team that we learned a lot about going into uh, the rest of the season on Saturday, Kentucky. Goes into the swamp, uh, wins. <clears throat> I'm not going to say dominant, but they did dominate the second half defensively. Convincing. Yeah, completely so. shut down Anthony Richardson. All of the Anthony Richardson skeptics right now are are wearing UK jerseys, uh, very happy, uh, trumpeting Mark Stoops' praises. They made him throw the ball. <clears throat> I think he ran the ball six times for four yards. Their game plan was fantastic. We didn't see him break contain very often and make plays with his feet. Kentucky forced him to throw the ball, <clears throat> I believe, 34 times. Yeah, uh, Completed 40% of those passes. A rough outing and all the things that you can do to kind of expose a young passer, uh, they did. And I thought, too, uh, I think it was during the game. Uh, I believe it was Todd McShay had some pretty good analysis of some of his throws looking at, you know, he doesn't have a ton of touch in terms of dropping the ball in, dropping the ball over uh, linebackers. It's a lot of like fastball, 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 because he has a big arm. And we see that sometimes with young quarterbacks. I think this is the difference right now between him and Will Levis is that Will Levis kind of does that but he's also developed to where he doesn't do that all the time he has a lot more touch um and he has the same kind of arm talent uh but kentucky props to them and the question now that you have to broach with kentucky is you know how good can this team really be uh and i I think you have the georgia problem but i came into the season pretty high on kentucky i thought they could replace uh canard and rosenthal their, their their holes in the offensive line they look like they can do that they didn't run the ball super uh effectively against florida but ran the ball well enough to win that game where do you get a sense of how good kentucky can be as the arrow is pointing way way up on the wildcats right now 
Yeah, and it goes back to, I remember we were talking last week about, like, you know, they weren't convincing against Miami, Ohio, but that there's two different kinds of good. There's your per play good, and there's your I can mangle a game to exactly how I want it to be. I dictate it. And that's exactly what you saw Saturday. That's how Mark mm-hmm. Stoops' football team is. They they dictate the game, and they were in control. They got Anthony Richardson to your great analysis to play left-handed for most of that game. They got to, you know, take away those things. And by the way, I actually came, well, we're, I'm going to save my Florida thoughts, but Florida's pretty good. <laughs> like I'm, I'm man enough to say it, but Kentucky is just a team that is well-built. They're deep. They're, it's, we always fall in love every year with the teams with the stars and we don't look closely enough for the teams that are just have the infrastructure and all those things. And yeah, I mean, Will Levis doesn't put up the gaudy stats and he has flaws too. I don't think Will Levis is perfect, but he, he plays quarterback correctly. And I love the, the Tom McShay thing about how Anthony Richardson passes because it's like, yeah, he's an amazing arm. That doesn't necessarily mean he's a great passer. Like Joe Burrow does not have an exceptional arm, but Joe Burrow is a borderline perfect passer. There's different kinds of arm talent. But yeah, I think Kentucky is a team that I've, I really believe they were the third best team in the SEC this year. I'm feeling a little vindicated. Let me pat myself on the shoulder <laughs> for a second because, and what helps them though is their schedule is more manageable than even normal. You know, it's always like SEC, I get it, it's tough. But this year it kind of feels really that way where, you know, I'm not that high on Ole Miss, but still it's a tough game. But you can win that game. You beat South Carolina. Mississippi State's tough. Tennessee's really tough. But there's a scenario where UK is favored and I think it's fair to say they might be favored in every single game other than Georgia the rest of the year. And I'm not saying that means they go 11 and one. That's not how this works, but 10 and two is right there on the table. Yeah. They are that good. And they fall in the category of, I don't think they're going to slip up a bunch, you know, like I don't think they're going to just like have bad weeks where a team makes them play left-handed. So I'm all in on Kentucky. I really love them. I don't think they're going to like beat Georgia. I think there's, there's a limit, but I, I think they have this. They are the third best team to me. I think they're good. They're really good on the lines, and we'll talk more about Tennessee in a bit. But I think that's the key question for for Kentucky: is can you establish I was yourself? By the run game, yeah. Can, can you establish yourself as clearly the second uh, best team in the East to start with before we start talking about the whole SEC? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Now, the team, uh, we'll call these guys the artists formerly known as the third best team in the SEC. Uh, they, uh, some people call them the Aggies. Um, certainly, uh, the the Gaggies moniker has come up from time to time. You see a lot of stuff from AM. We've seen a lot under Jimbo that just makes you kind of be like, what is happening here? And that was another one of those on Saturday. And I think what is happening here is we're watching an offense from 2012 yeah. that is just not working. And I don't know how much more you need to see from all this. Yeah. Like, I don't – the Aggies cannot – you have to be able to score points uh, in the current iteration of the SEC with how Georgia runs, how Alabama runs, to consistently win in the SEC. There's too many good offenses. We see them all over. Obviously, Florida, Kentucky – Tennessee, all these games, if you can't put up 40 on any given night when you need to, you can't win. And then sometimes, if you can't put up 17 against App State, you're going to By the way, only put up 10 of offense, actually. You know, (laughs) only put up 7 of offense. One was a kickoff return. Yes. That's just, listen, App State, this is the same team that gave up 60 points last week to North Carolina. And I think North Carolina's offense is pretty good. Yes. But the reality is A&M just does not have the level of explosiveness that you have to have uh, in this league. And I think right now, through two games, Brody, AM has seven plays longer than 20 yards. That includes a game against Sam Houston State. That's 96th nationally 
Aggies were 76 in that stat last year, which, by the way, Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia, all top 10 in those numbers. Uh, and to the Aggies, when they had their one good season under uh, under uh, Jimbo Fisher, 9-1 and one in 2020, they were still 56th yep. in that number. Uh, they won that season with defense and their running game, which, hey, that's admirable. I'm sure a lot of coaches uh, really enjoy watching the Aggies in 2020. But most of the time, that's not going to work. And in that game, in that same season, we saw when they went toe to toe with a really explosive Alabama team, they lost by like four touchdowns. So I, I don't know where you go from here. Your midseason, if you're Alabama, I mean, if you're if you're A and M, obviously you can you can tweak some things, but you can't fire your OC and have a whole new offense. You're kind of stuck here. Obviously, you have a ton of talent. And there was an interesting uh, quote from a recruit uh, over the weekend, uh, which recruiting in Texas, Brody, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, It's a little competitive down there. Um, But I believe it was a four-star receiver. Uh, His name escapes me, but he said, Texas has the scheme, but not the players. And A&M has the players, but not the scheme. That strikes me as very, very, very true of what we're seeing. Because obviously, when when you saw what Texas was doing to Alabama, they were scheming guys wide open. Quinn Ewers was hitting them early. Hudson Card struggled to do the same. Their, their offense got a little more conservative when they had Hudson Card out there. They're scheming guys wide open. I mean, Quinn Ewers made some great throws, but he was also throwing to wide open guys. Uh, the Aggies, you know, there's just no excuse for being able to put seven points on the board against App State. Uh, there's just no reason for that, and, and especially when defensively you played well enough to win that ball game. Uh, yeah. App State's a good team. But holding hold them to 17 points is legitimately impressive. Holding anybody to 17 points, unless it's Georgia, you should be able to win. And and the thing is, it's it's not even – because it would be easy for people to kind of lazily be like, you know, it's that classic thing of modernizing your offense and like, you know, like how Georgia needed to about, but or LSU needed to. But, no, that's not the same thing because mm-hmm. those are teams – they still were like they were outdated, no doubt about it. But they would just run you over, and at least eleven weeks a year, or twelve weeks a year until a playoff or whatever, they would still just move the ball at will because they were more talented teams and run them five yards a carry. And then it was like, oh, but their ceiling isn't as high because their offense isn't updated. This is not that. This is not just like this is everything. And this is not new, right? This is years in the making. But everything with AM just feels so strange. It feels like anything they even do get, any impressive play, it just feels like it had to be like made in a lab to work out or somebody <laughs> had to make a, a special play. It's never smooth. And we're living in a time where offense is smooth. Like teams can just kind of smoothly scheme things up. And that's what's so unfortunate about it. And yes, it's the I, uh, you said the 2012 offense, uh, Tony Yayo in the comments, great name, by the way, said 2003 LSU offense, which it is. And it's like, I don't know, because they do have the players. And I don't even know, and I'm not smart enough to know, like, if there's some element of, like, the players aren't able to do more, so they run it simple. But I doubt it, because we have so much data well, on think, our side here. Yeah, It reminds me of this, Brody. It's like the uh, the, the burger contest in uh, in Parks and Rec, right? Where you have Jimbo, Jimbo's playbook is really complicated. There's a lot of pro, yes. pro concepts in it. And you have it, you know, you have your uh, your your peach aioli, you have your arugula, you have your Munster cheese, yes. you have your impossible burger patty. It's this immaculate thing, and it's like, oh, this we've done all this stuff. It looks incredible, and then you have, uh, you know, App State or other teams walking up and saying, hey, uh, here's a beef burger. It's on a bun. You can put whatever you want on it. I don't yeah. care. It's very simple, and it just is better. Like it's and just like, that you know, simple. That's where we're at. And you know what Sark's doing? I mean, not to like hype up Sark after a loss, but but you know what Sark's doing? He's making a really simple smash burger, but it's the best quality burger. Like he's putting the work into the burger itself to make the burger simple for his players and thrive. And it's like I'm not out on AM, but I'm before the season, I would just yell. I'm like, I, I think I recommended people take under eight and a half. You know, like I think they're good. I think when you have that talent, you're gonna they're still probably gonna win a top ten game or two. That defense still looks great. Really good the talents there, but I have no confidence in a in a sense of upside. I have no confidence that there's like a they're gonna click on a certain night and go for forty nine. I don't have that. And the question really we have to ask ourselves is. What does this mean for him? What does this mean for Jimbo Fisher? Because I am not like sitting here saying fire Jimbo because man, no, the way he's recruiting, I think he's a pretty good program guy overall. I do think that like I am no world saying they're at that point. I think next year they should be great. 
but we are officially, I think it's fair to say, at the point where does Jimbo have to do a little, and forgive me, I know I almost make everything accidentally LSU, have to do a little like Notre Dame, Brian Kelly, like step back, reevaluate, and be like, no, 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 okay, I'm going to go hire an OC. You know, I'm going to go hire a guy to maybe he has to, and that's tough because his identity is a quarterback guy. His well, identity, I talked to you. Yeah, I, I talked to our, our tech expert yesterday about, I asked him if there was a, a tidy number for the Jimbo buyout, and he said, tidy, no, but it's roughly $94 million. <laughs> Which, to our best recollection, the record for college football is Gus Malzahn at 21.7. Yes. is the highest buyout ever paid. So, listen. But if there were a school to challenge it. Yeah, legitimately, yes. But also, yeah. Jimbo has all the leverage, and obviously I don't think getting rid of Jimbo is the, the answer. But you've yeah. heard of situations in the past. Uh, this happened to Mike Gundy when he hired Dana Holgerson uh, in cool. 2010, I want to say. The AD comes in and says, hey, go get an OC. Go get another OC. We trust you, you but... You don't have a lot of leverage because you can't say, go get an OC or you're gone because you're not going to do that at A&M. But you can make it very clear, like, Jimbo, we got to do something else here because this is not working. And I don't know how much more evidence you need to see because I really, in watching that A&M, I I don't think Haynes King's the problem. I don't think the offensive lines are the problem. It it just rings of scheme to me. Uh, you got guys. You could be better at all those spots. Haynes King could be better. You know, you've got Devin A. Chain, who's a, uh, an absolute yeah, baller. Yeah. yeah, I had that touchdown run. But you, you just need to get guys in space better, make your easier throws for the quarterback. And, and when you see so many teams overnight having success on offense, Tennessee, Florida, uh, all these teams, and A&M is sitting here with all the talent in the world struggling to get to double digits against App State, who, again, gave up 60 to North Carolina last yeah. week. I mean, what more do you need to see? The Aggies, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the panic button hitting the panic button on the edge. Absolutely. And and by the way, maybe the pressure, honestly, is just recruiting. You know, like maybe that's the only leverage he'll, he'll lose out on because word's getting out, you know? Like, I mean, he's a great recruiter. I'm not arguing that. Like, he's going to be fine. But the 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 offensive stuff, that's now – it's it's been something that we've been quietly talking about. Like, but it's never been the storyline. It's always been like, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of limiting him. Now it's, it's the storyline. That's going to get out there. It's going to get recruited against them like crazy. So maybe that is the leverage is, man, like you're going to start missing on some quarterbacks. You're going to start missing on these skill players who want to have a good career. Because what – oh, my God, I don't have it in front of me. What's the stat that someone sent, I think, in our Slack channel of A&M receivers produced the NFL is like minimal under Jimbo or his whole career, really. I forget, yeah, it's not but, great. I think so it's what, like, uh, I'm trying to rack my brain. Kelvin was, Benjamin strikes me as like the best guy that, I, that Yeah, and then obviously, you know, yeah, there's been one or two at AM, but it's it's not great. So it's like that might be the pressure is man, you gotta modernize a little, you gotta hire your own OC because you're getting all these OC because you need to get the most out of them or they're not gonna come there. And again, we're in the transfer era. There's a pressure when you have a guy like yes. Kevin Stewart on your roster that was not there two years ago. So he can go to Texas. Yeah. Brody, I way, believe. Uh, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, and as much as we're talking about AM and like, can they get back on track? Their road is really tough. Like mm-hmm. they, I mean, Miami, I'm not like convinced by it. I think they probably win that game at home, but Miami, Arkansas, you and I are both huge fans of Mississippi state and it's in Starkville. Then mm-hmm. Alabama, that is four horrible games that one, you could lose all of those four. Obviously, I don't think that, but two and two is probably like, is that optimistic? Even like that's well, Brody, if they're scoring seven points on offense, they're going to lose all four of those games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll probably say they go two and two, but still, that is a problem. By the way, would you and wait, no, I'm, no, yeah, that's right. So if you're four and three or something, or three and three after that stretch, and you still have the rest of your SEC schedule, you still got Ole Miss, still got Florida, still got Auburn, LSU. It's like this year could actually be genuinely ugly. Not just like, oh, they underachieved eight and four again. It could be like, I don't know. So I don't know. Yeah. Brody, we, I, I believe that you were uh, the chief skeptic on the Florida – as the Florida bandwagon collected people, and more and more of us were boarding. I believe you were sitting at the train station saying, I, I don't know about all this, guys. I don't yeah. know about all this. <laughs> and uh, Saturday night we saw – I think this is going to be the Florida experience. I think this is going to yep. be a week-to-week deal that obviously the potential is very high. I I, I think Utah is really good. For what it's worth, yep. if people care, Utah almost hung 80 points uh, against an FCS team. They looked fine. Uh, I think they won that game 73-7. to You know, 
we'll see more about them, but I don't think it's a problem with Utah. I think Florida played really, really well. I think Utah might have had not a great game plan against Anthony Richardson. We'll see how many teams can duplicate Kentucky's game plan. But Florida was the other team. Kentucky really popped the balloon. I think, to me, it felt like a toss-up. I still think Florida's really good. I think the answer to that game is that Kentucky is just better. I think Kentucky's also really good. I don't I don't buy the Florida fraud stuff. I think Anthony Richardson has a long way to go. But I think Florida, in a roundabout way, might end up being what we kind of thought they were at the start of the season, that however Anthony Richardson goes is how Florida's going to go. And I think Anthony Richardson was kind of beating himself up after the game. I think they'll have to manage that for a young guy like him to be able to, you know, come back from that and not be scared of being the guy that he is. We'll see if that manifests in his play. But what did you make of, of Florida's uh, – I don't know if I'd call it a crash to earth because it's not no, like they lost no, to App State. Yeah. They lost at home to a really good team that we think is probably going to win nine or ten games this year. But what do you make of, of, of Florida? Um, I guess we'll have to they'll, – they'll have to, to wait another year for the playoff uh, reservations, Brody. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I know you set me up to, like, take my victory. And as much as I – like, I will say, like, I was right about Kentucky, proud of that. I was right about AM, proud of that. I actually come away from this game thinking like, no, it's fair to say I was probably wrong about Florida. I actually, I, I think I'm going the other way where it's like, I really thought this was just going to be a bad team that didn't have it. Mullen left them in bad shape. And, but, but again, while saying that I yelled from the mountaintop, Napier's really good. Napier's going to mm-hmm. do a lot of great things. Just going to be a rough year. I'm coming out on the other side of, I was really impressed by the Utah game. And man, that Kentucky game was just a great game. It was two really, really good teams and Kentucky to your point just kind of edging them, you know, just kind of like one in the margins is the simplest way to put it. So I'm still really high on Florida. Yes. The Anthony Richards thing, Richardson thing came back to earth. There is a limit to him that he's going to thrive on certain nights. There's going to be one game this year where we're like, Nope, back on. And there's going to be a game where you're like, 350 the year, 120 yeah. on the ground, six Absolutely, touchdowns. Yeah. Like, that's going to happen. Yeah, That's going to happen. It's happened many times this year. He's really talented. But when you face a d- d- defense like Mark Stoops and Brad White at Kentucky, who just know how to make you play left-handed, to make nothing easy, everything strained, make you make these tough, tight window one-on-one throws every time, that's where Anthony Richardson's not going to do as well. But I was blown away by just how Billy Napier has this team playing this hard, this fast, how they look more organized than they did last few years with Grantham and Mullen and all that. I'm really impressed by them. So, yeah, I still think seven wins is probably about where I put them, but that's not an insult. Like, I think there's going to be volatile. I think I'm with the way you put it. It's going to be the Anthony Richardson experience to an extent. Man, I got to give him credit and admit that I was kind of wrong because as much as they lost and it's like back to earth, I think I'm more impressed than ever. I think uh, when you look at that SEC East, that spot for behind Georgia, it's going to be a bunch of really good games like this. We saw Florida and Kentucky. I think when you look at Tennessee, you throw them in the mix. Tennessee, Florida coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, barring something crazy, I will probably be at that one. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Kentucky and Tennessee later in the season um, will be a great matchup as well. Which brings us to the, the such balls. a good time for the SEC, man. As it really as everyone, is. As much as everyone's like, man, Bama, Georgia, no one's as good, and we're mad about it. This is what people like us love. We four want... top twenty teams in the SEC East right now. Oh, and, and honestly, yeah, what's the overall SEC? It's got to be like step eight, right? Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. here for it, man. Yes. Other than I guess Vandy, there's not a probably Mizzou's not exactly riveting. Like, there's every game is like, yeah, I want to watch this. There's not a yeah. single game I'm not intrigued by. Yeah. There's two schools of thought, I feel like, on the Vols right now, Brody, um, who also showed us something on Saturday. On the one hand, for one, you have the Josh Heupel situation where very uninspired hire. He comes in, Tennessee fans are like, eh, okay. Nationally, it's kind of like, oh, you brought in Danny White and you just went and got the guy that he just worked with. Like, It's kind of like there's a lot of skepticism. They're better. The people were sort of predicting a possible disaster year in year one. They don't get that. Uh, they look pretty good. Tennessee brings back a ton. A little bit of hype, not major hype, but people are excited. I live in Knoxville. People are excited around here about the Vols. So there's two schools of thought right now. One, which where I'm kind of at, Tennessee doesn't win these games. They yeah. they 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 drop these games. Bingo. They, you know, the, the close games against good teams that can kind of decide which way your season goes. They just don't win those games. And on the rare occasion that they do, then they drop a you know a game they shouldn't drop later. So we'll see if that happens. But I, you know, I, 
ultimately, I, I come away with if you go on the road and you play a team like Pitt, I don't think Pitt's that good. I, think I do actually. Pitt, I think really Pitt going toe to toe. Let's. We're gonna play a dangerous game right now of the uh, transitive property, which I don't believe in, but also the human brain desires to make patterns out of things. Yes. So I did also watch West Virginia lose to Kansas, uh, who I think is actually going to be decent. But I don't think West Virginia is very good. I think Pitt struggled with them. I don't think Pitt's point. that good. But I think but Pitt's good. But. at the end of the day, I think Pitt's probably one of the 40 best teams in the country yeah. right now. That's kind of where I'm at with them. I thought they were really overrated coming in. But you still have, you know, Keaton Slovis, reigning ACC champion. So it's like, it's a good win, okay? But you look a little closer, you say, well, the Vols didn't really play very well. They get pushed to overtime. You know, Slovis is out for a lot of that. They're playing their backup quarterback, Nick Patty, who nobody ever heard of before Saturday. He's playing on one leg. The Vols still can't really force him. But they got to, uh, you know, go into overtime and, uh, and miraculously, you know, uh, make that happen and, and get out of pit with a win. I think there's no such thing as a bad win in that situation. We'll see what the Vols are. You know, Akron won't be much, but that Florida game will be a real a real test for them. But the Vols, I, I, I lean toward buying them because, again, yeah. I just don't it, – it's about math, right? Yeah. You just want to win games. Win games. Tennessee is not going to the playoff this year. You don't have to worry about resume or style points. Get a win. You are 2-0. and you want to improve on last year where they were, what, seven and six, I think? Yeah. You want to improve on last year. Well, you know how you do that? You start winning games that you didn't win a week or, or a year earlier, which was Pitt, a game they should have won in Knoxville. Well, they go to Pitt and win. I don't really care at this point, if you're Tennessee, of how you do it or what you do or how it happens. Get a win, and Tennessee did that. It's about putting skins on the wall, and that's where, that's where Tennessee's at. So I get the skepticism. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be – a little shaky on how good Pitt is and how hard that looked for Tennessee. But I also think Tennessee didn't play very well. That's not the version of Tennessee that I think we're going to see most often this season. No, exactly. It's like this, maybe this is just my broken brain, how I view things, but I, I wanted Tennessee to show they can just kind of football, hey, grit football and grits, like grit it out. <laughs> I wanted to, cause the, to me, they were the definition of like this surface level, Again, the per play thing is very good, like efficient team, but I didn't see the stones. I didn't see the like, can they match up when things get hard? And hey, man, Pitt, as much as you don't love them, I think Pitt's pretty good. I kind of think they win the, their division in the ACC, and I'm going to try to remember which one's which because I never will. Uh, and like, I like Pitt a lot, actually. So, and Pat Narduzzi is almost like ACC UK, where it's like, man, they're just going to make life hard. And I, I'm, yeah, Tennessee has flaws, to your point. You know, it's not about a playoff discussion. It's not about that. I wanted to see them win a game where it got ugly, and they did mm-hmm. that. They, they mm-hmm. got off to a terrible start, and they bounced back really hard. Their that was a, that was something people overlooked. They got off the mat. It was looking like 17 nothing there earlier. They get that like, pick. Yeah. They get that pick. They answer the touchdown. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, now we're playing football, yeah. and we're not going to have to dig out of a hole. That's an impressive start for the Vols. The pass rush got after it, which I knew was supposed mm-hmm. to be pretty good, but still just like showing, hey, Tennessee's not just offense. And obviously, if Keaton Slovis is there the second half, maybe it goes a little differently. But that's not how football works. And, yeah, I, I, I just think I was kind of down on Tennessee. I thought they were just surface level. And I actually come away from that game being like, all right, I actually do trust them. They can, mm-hmm. they can hang in there when they take several punches. They can grit it out a little bit and at the end of the day Hendon Pitt is a good defense like that I actually feel confident yeah. saying that and Hendon Hooker Cedric Tillman Brew McCoy all those guys they still had a not a field day but did really well against them prove they can make those throws against teams that know how to cover it so yeah I, I do think they're going to go in the SC play and and hang help hold their own I think eight and four eight wins is realistic yeah I don't think I don't there's know, a lot but of I'm not buying like to... top 10 no yeah I don't I don't think there's a lot of teams are gonna be able to take away the running game in the way that Pitt did from Tennessee Mm-hmm. And then Hendon Hooker didn't play great. He played okay, yeah. I thought. And they still That's won fair. that game. Uh, he still had an, a, a solid performance. So, again, balls, you're 2-0. You literally can't do any better. Like, you didn't play very well. You went on the road. You beat a pretty good team. Uh, 2-0. Take it. Another 2-0 team, Brody, that uh, snuck into the top 10 this week. Yeah, who would have guessed that? Two quality wins at home, granted, but two quality wins with Cincinnati and South Carolina. Arkansas, you know, they lose Jalen Catalan, which is a huge problem for them. Uh, I think people really are overlooking that. Yeah, so tough. much conversation on Arkansas is, oh, the schedule, the schedule. They can only do so much. They can only do so much. 
this Arkansas team looks really good because I think they they are good on the lines and they can control games. They were totally in control of that South go. Carolina game. South Carolina pushed them late uh, in the third quarter. They kind of made a push and 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 made that a little more interesting. But I think Arkansas they're just they can run the ball in so many creative ways. Obviously, you have to account for KJ Jefferson, and even if you've got him one on one with a linebacker. He's going to bowl him over and get four extra yards because he's a tank. And then, of course, you can do a whole lot of stuff. Rocket Sanders uh, had a really nice uh, day for them as well. Arkansas is just really tough to game plan for. And then they can go to Tempo also. Uh, and and when KJ is cooking, which he was throwing the ball on, sa- on Saturday, man, they're really tough to beat. I, I don't think KJ is the, the greatest passer in the world, but he's really competent. And sometimes he gets hot. And when he gets hot – Arkansas, that offense looks really unstoppable from time to time. And uh, and we saw that. From you, wh- where do you see the ceiling for Arkansas? Is there a world in which Arkansas, dare I say it, Brody, we mentioned a vulnerable Alabama. Is there a world in which Arkansas shows up in Atlanta in December? Man, I want to get there so bad. It's going to be so <laughs> good. Like I like in every way, be good for college football, be good for us as nerds. Like the good news is their road trip to BYU won't count. Oh, that's a really good point, actually. It's like I trust them to take care of business. And by the way, that in their game in two weeks against AM will tell us kind of everything in a weird way because that is the team made to stop them, right? Like that is the team where they should stop the run game. They like mm-hmm. they that is what AM is meant to do. So that will tell me so much. But I'm impressed because also I was like, man, what's going to happen when they have to – like they got into a bit of a shootout a little bit that in that game. And like you said, KJ Jefferson got hot. They put up a lot of points in the second half. Like that's promising in a little way. I, I think this defense is probably to some extent is what it is, especially with Catalan out. Like I think teams are going to be able to put up some points on it. But they are designed, to your point, to win – like if they get up early, they are designed to just – take control, run that clock out and take some of that pressure off their defense. So mm-hmm. I I love if they beat AM, yeah, I'm riding the hype train, man. Like let's do it. It's just tough, man. The schedule's I know it's the boring take, but I mean Liberty even isn't like an easy game. It's just I don't know. But I guess that's to the point it's more about the SEC. I think still think there's a bit of a ceiling because I what happens if they get behind against Bama? What happens, man, if mm-hmm. they get back behind against Mississippi State in that air raid like Mississippi state might be a really tough matchup for them with that Mississippi state defense too. So I think there's a limit, but they are still for real. Like there's so many teams we talk about where I'm like, you know, like they are pretty good. They can get to eight wins. I think Arkansas is a team where I'm like, they are for real. I think 10 wins is reasonable for them. And that would just be a monumental season in, in Bama. I think ultimately Arkansas, even if they're sitting at 10 wins, you get to host Alabama who we just talked about mm. is very uh, vulnerable If you can, if you can win that game, which listen, very possible. That means the BAM is probably going to drop another one. That's a huge game. I'm going to tell you, Brody, if Arkansas Arkansas wins that game, we're going to see the hogs in Atlanta. I really, I really do think that Uh, it's either going to be them or Mississippi state. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Which brings us to Mississippi State, Brody. What are we going to have to do? Our to Mississippi State, right? What are we? What? What is? Do what we is want people to notice them? Because this I, is I better know. for us. Like, what, look, look we get to be 25. the hipsters. Yes, look we at get the to be the 25. hipsters. It's insane to me. You have so many teams that have beaten up on FCS teams, haven't done anything. Mississippi State beats Memphis, who's okay. Memphis is pretty yeah. good. Go on the road, beat Arizona, who just ran South, San Diego State off the yeah, field. Looked pretty solid. They looked really good, and yet they can't. They can't even get the. Top, they're not even in the top thirty, Brody. They're like in the votes receiving. It's like they're like sixth or seventh team. It's it's. What are we doing, pollsters? What are I we know. doing? What what does Mississippi State have to do? What are, well, this is this is why I don't like the polls. Is people are such a prisoner of the preseason. Watch the games, guys. No, I'm not no, asking more you than that. Put, like they're a prisoner of what one. they Goodness. watch. Yes. Like and no one's watching Mississippi State really. They haven't played they had the like a national delay. TV game. Yeah, yeah. Delay. They had the weird rain delay, and they're playing late. They played the really late both yeah. weeks. Yeah. yeah so mm-hmm. no one's watching. 
and they're like all both their games have been like good games but not games that like everyone's gonna be like i want like gonna go watch that and people are kind of lazy but do we want this because it's like man i remember taking andy staples to elsie's plate and pie in baton rouge i was it's my spot i love it so much <laughs> I, I deeply love it i tell anyone about it not that i discovered it but like it was just kind of like it's a pride in it it's like a band and then he wrote about it and then i was just like so psyched that it got its acclaim for a minute <laughs> for a minute i was like hell yeah and then it's like damn it we ruined Elsie's. Not, not. It's still great, but it's like everyone knows about. It. Everyone who comes to town wants to go there, and I'm like, ah. so I, as much as I am psyched, like as much as I want Mississippi State to get its acclaim because I think they're good, it's frustrating. I, I want, I, I don't want everyone else to be on it. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I think if they beat LSU at, in Tiger Stadium this week, it, everyone will be watching that one. It's not a great they weekend. Will. It's not a huge <laughs> slate. And by the way, yeah, I think we'll get to. They that, will. I think they should. They match up really well in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like. Mississippi State to me is the top 15 team in the country, maybe even more, especially with how messed up the top 10 is right now. Yes. And no one's on it. And what's scary, and we talked about this a ton last week, so you don't need to overdo it, but it's like they're upside mixed with reliability, where it's like you have the upside of the air raid, the upside of Will Rogers and these pieces. They are fun, but they can ugly it out. They, they kind of uglied it out last year a lot, where it's like that Zach Arnett defense, the lines of scrimmage are really good. I love this Mississippi State team. And like even these two wins are so impressive because they're not sexy opponents where you have to get up, but they're also they're in that middle zone where it's like you Mm -hmm. could look ugly in that game. And they didn't do anything sexy. They didn't win 49 nothing. They just took care of business on a quarter by quarter basis. So, yeah, I'm all in on that. Uh, Brody, this is not SEC news, but I I have been I well, not right now. I have been humbled over the last few years in that we don't know anything, Brody. If you had told me that, one, Tom Herman was going to flame out at Texas and Scott Frost was going to flame out at Nebraska, I would have been shocked. I I thought both of those were home runs. Not that I thought Scott Frost was going to bring national titles to Nebraska, but not go, I don't even know what the final record was. It was like 26 and 50, something along those lines. Yeah. It was really not good. Uh, I, I don't know exactly why it didn't work out. That's the kind of, I can't really point to one singular thing. You can say, oh, coaching decisions and all this stuff. And like, we can see that the reasons why, but the reasons why they couldn't even be competent it, are, uh, they escaped me. I really don't know. Yeah. And uh, we just don't know anything. I think that strikes me because we look at, okay, uh, Josh Heupel, demonstrably worse than Scott Frost at UCF. And yet Heupel's thriving at Tennessee, a place that had had a lot of issues. Very similar similar situation in Nebraska. They're not perfect comparisons, but very similar. And then, of course, you have Jimbo, who I think literally thrown up basically a parade, a red carpet when he arrived in College Station. And Sam Pittman, who pretty much nationally will kind of like, what is Arkansas doing? Is the Arkansas job that bad? They can't get a quote unquote real coaching candidate. And here we are sitting here and Sam Pittman could probably run for governor of Arkansas right now and win. And we just discussed Jimbo's $95 million buyout. We don't know anything Brody. And, And it's, it's amazing to me. Like, there's so many variables that go into why a coach succeeds or does not succeed. And it's just a fascinating situation. And then I think, you know, we were talking about this. We didn't mention this on the show last week, but for better or worse, Brian Kelly and Billy Napier are going to be compared in very, very similar ways. Um, However, their careers and their current jobs end up with LSU sort of saying, thanks, but no thanks to Napier and going and getting the big fish, despite the perfectly, uh, a nice fish with a lot of potential in its backyard. Yeah. It said, no, thanks. We're going to go up to the Midwest and go, uh, and go bring this Yankee down here and, and see how he fits in with the Cajuns. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I, I just, it, what do you make of the coaching carousel right now? And where, where do we even, I, I just, I've, I've learned the last few years that really the coaching carousel grades are hilarious every single year. Oh my God. Yeah, my but I, I really, I, I feel like you have a good sense. Grades. Between the coaching carousel and Josh Allen thriving in the NFL, 
I, sometimes I just think I don't know anything Great about point. the sport, Brody. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and I want to save Napier and Kelly for a minute from now because, but that's a, that's an entire different discussion we can have. Yes. But I mean, I go back to my old coast on uh, on hold that podcast. T Bob Bear and I used to call we call ourselves coaching higher nihilists. We just learn like we know nothing, we believe nothing, and the second you the second you believe there is a formula, <laughs> like there is like a you want this type of coach. That is when you are so wrong. And the entire thought of being like, I am looking for this is when you see the worst hires ever. And again, I mean, this is an extreme of it, but like LSU after like Joe Brady left, it became like, we need Joe Brady again. And it's like Mm -hmm. that the second you are thinking like that, you are messing up beyond belief. So yeah, I look at all these coaching hires the last few years. There is no rhyme or reason. I mean, I, but there is at the same time, I think if you look closely, because it's like, one, I think you got to look at data points are a big part of this. I, it's just like the guys were talking about Herman and Frost, who I was so wrong about. Like I would have, those are the two guys I would have put more confident stock in than any rising coaches in years. But then you're like, wait, both of them were on, was it two years and three years at their schools, I believe, or three each or something like that at Houston and UCF. Small data points. Not recruit, I'm not saying they won with the old players, but still it's kind of like, the hard rebuild is less impressive than the I'm keeping it there thing. Yeah. It's like, and it's like in hindsight, we should have seen that coming because you haven't really, really learned how to be a head coach yet. And like the real ways when that's when you were just on the rise and then you were taking a job that is even harder. So it's like, I think when you look at the ones we're mentioning that work out, that surprised us. And again, I don't think you should hire for this because I'd be wrong, but it's the guys with miles to an extent, you know, miles under the, the thing they've seen it, but they're also, I'm not saying hire CEOs. Cause again, that's a flawed line of thinking, but guys who are a bit more program guys than they are a gimmick or guys mm-hmm. that are like, a, I'm an offensive guy or I'm a defensive guy. It's guys who like Sam Pittman even knows how to run that football program and oversee it and build a good culture and things like that. And, and I think that's what makes it so interesting that we need to look more toward is data points a little bit. It's like, so if I'm hiring a coach right now, and I know it's not one-to-one, not apples to apples, but it's like I'd hire Mark Stoops before I hire the next rising star because I think we're learning. Mark Stoops knows how to run a program. He knows how to have the down and the up. Pat Fitzgerald's never leaving, but I'd rather hire Pat Fitzgerald down and up. That's what I want, not the guy who's just on a three-year skyrocket. You know. And I think part of it is ADs are really bad at asking the right questions. Right now, it's not as pronounced yeah, as it used definitely. to be. But you've had the, the two poles of the bean counter AD and the former coach AD, right? Yes. And for a while, you'd have, well, this is the right way or this is the right way. But you get the bean counter AD that's like, oh, this guy's going to really excite people. He did yeah. this at this group of five school. He's going to be incredible. People are going to be really excited. We're going to sell tons of tickets. Let's go get him. And then you have uh, a good example. I mean, I was front row seat for it, obviously. But you have mm-hmm. Phil Fulmer going and hire Jeremy Pruitt, who understands football coach. There are two football coaches. This guy Thank can coach football family. and doesn't really think about, oh, how is he going to handle, you know, being the head coach at Tennessee where people are obsessed with him and the media attention with that and promoting the program and all these things and running his program and all these things. There were some questions that people didn't ask, right? I think yeah. you have to understand what does our program actually need? And also yeah. having a sense of both of those things. What is his his giant binder that the coaches always come in their interviews with? Okay, how much that is X's and O's? How much that is culture? How much that is promotion? Like, being a head coach is an extremely difficult job. It pays well. It pays even better if you get fired. Uh, Scott Frost, by the way, $7.5 million to not work for the next two weeks. Listen, fired football coach. Every time yeah. I tell a coach this, they get mad at me, but I always tell them my my dream in life is to be a fired football coach. But oh uh, I mean, I'd watch a reality show where it's just Scott Frost <laughs> and Ed Ogeron just like yeah. living their respective lives with 17 million each. Year. Exactly. But, but you have to figure out that. what you need. You have to figure out what you need and ask the right questions and find that. And I think you saw, obviously, Hunter Yurichik did that. And that's not to yeah. say that Jimbo isn't what AM needed. Yeah, I think he actually is. Yeah, I think he. I think he's going to be fine there long term. You have to make some changes. If he keeps doing yeah. things the way that it goes, he's just going to wait until they have the money to to buy him out until yes. they do. But if it's going to work, they're going to have to change some things. But I think you. That's that's where I think ads are not asking the right questions when they're finding but, coaches and they're just chasing the hot guy. 
What gets worrisome, though, and I'm agreeing with you, but at the same time, I think what gets scary, though, is the what you need part that you're asking, because you're right, but it's how do you go about that? Because there's this thing of like, I think sometimes you see a too hard of a zig to the zag of what just happened. So it's like, you just had a CEO type. Now I want a scheme guy. You just Mm -hmm. had a scheme guy. Now I want the veteran guy. And it's like a little too reactionary. So it's like- Well, it's being a slave to the fan base. It's like, okay, well, the fans want this. We want this. You know what fans want? Fans want to win. And if they hire somebody that you don't, that they don't like, okay, maybe you have a rough six months, but if you have faith in, no, I think this is right. If they win, no one will care. That's All great. that stuff will not matter. And guess what? When the fans are really excited about your hire, the second that he loses to, uh, you know, uh, Georgia Southern or whoever you want to say in yeah. their second year, all that excitement is gone because he can't win. And that's, you know, it's, it is an inexact science. I'm glad I'm not an AD. Um, but also, unless your coach brings home a giant trophy that you haven't seen in 20 years or somebody's trying to poach him, Stop giving raises and extensions also. That will save you a lot of... We'll have Andy on next week for his uh, (laughs) hour-long rant about that. But you know know what I'll go to? Uh, My favorite interview moment, top five favorite interview moments ever, was Tom Crean at like some kind of practice event, you know, one of those random interviews, and he's, he's asked about like figuring out players. He said, you have to figure out what matters, and what matters is everything. And I think about that quote... Every day of my life, actually, just like kind of so true, what, yeah. What, gotta figure out what matters, but everything matters. But anyway, <laughs> blows my mind. But that is the kind of the truth with coaching hires, because to our point, it's like you gotta figure out what you need. But it's like it's to the Pruitt Kirby example is actually the example of like how hard this is because they have similar backgrounds in a lot of ways. But you gotta do your research. You gotta. And I know they do, but it's like, you got to be asking everybody. You got to interview them, figure out who they are. Do they fit with you? Because Pruitt didn't have the, not the Kirby's charismatic, but there's a sense of like, I know what I'm doing. This I know what I want. Like there's a, I want to follow Kirby smart. And I don't think there was ever, I want to follow Jeremy Pruitt. There's no charisma there. There's no like, I, I know I have a plan, you know, I don't think that was ever there with Jeremy Pruitt. So it's like, you're doing your extra research of like, how much do they know what they want? How much have they put the time in to think about it? And do you guys want to follow them? Do they, will they be, do coaches want to work for them? You know, like that Mm -hmm. stuff. So what matters is it's, yeah, there's no formula. It's so contextual. You just got to really get in the nitty gritty and figure it out. Mm -hmm. Well, before we go, Brody, we should, we should at least glance ahead. To week three what what's what's your number one thing that you're looking for as we uh, as we move into the third week of the season next week well i think number one probably has to be does a and m bounce back right like yeah. can they Tyler van dyke coming to town that's going to be a, a real a real it's a fun test for the defense it's a great and then the offense it's like just can you show anything? Like, I don't even care if you win 21-17. It's not pretty. Like, just win. Can you, yeah, just yeah, yeah. Honestly, there's no insight. We don't need to pretend we're smarter than we are. Just <laughs> if you can win that game, you'll shut a lot of people up. So I think that's number one for me. What about you? I'm going to go with, you know, a lot of people, us included, have been kind of poo-pooing Auburn all year of like, yeah. oh, this could be a disaster. This is already going bad. Uh, they didn't look great against San Jose State. They won the game. That's you know, kind of whatever. an understatement. <laughs> yeah, yes. They won the game. They're sitting here at 2-0. and And if you can host Penn State and go win that ball game, talk about shutting people up. Brody, we'll be talking here. Does, does Auburn have a new lease on life? Now, Oof. the flip side of that is if Penn State walks in there and beats you by 20 uh, with your AD gone, you know, are the vultures starting to circle? Huge game. Huge yeah. game for Auburn and Brian Harson there. We'll see how that, uh, how that and- plays out for them. And then I think we have to at least end with like we are doing like the best game of the week in the SEC, uh, like SEC game is LSU Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. And I know we both probably think Mississippi State should handle win this, but this is kind of like the biggest, most interesting game I think in a lot of ways because I don't think LSU is bad. Like I know we talked at length about it last week. Just like I think there's a lot of stuff there that's really likable. Jane Daniels, I'm actually becoming more and more of a fan of. They're at home, which is just a different element. I'm intrigued, and, but at the same time, Mississippi State were so high on. Yeah, I, I don't know if LSU's defense is at a point right now where they're made. To, I like them on the line, but I don't like them in the back. And it's like, can they contain, you know, this 
sorry, air raid offense. And then at the same time, Zach Arnett's defense seems well constructed to make Jane Daniels confused, to make life just hard for Jane Daniels to, because Jane Daniels' biggest problem is like, you know, does he keep his eyes downfield? Does he, does he take off running too soon? I think Mississippi state's defense is kind of made to, to make life hard for him there. So I think we're both on Mississippi state, but I'm just fascinated yeah. by this game because it's going to tell I think us if I was, everything. I think if I was LSU's defense, I just play really tight man defense on mesh and just wait and just, I don't see any way that that could go. And if it's going badly go at halftime, double just down, keep doing it. Just keep double doing down. It. Yeah. Just, if there's no one notes. thing we know about football is that the air raid, uh, it, you know, man defense thrives against the air raid. Wait, <laughs> how much would you pay me if I have Brian Kelly's press conference in two hours? If I ask, have you talked to Bo Pelini about how to handle this game? How much, like, like honestly, in the comments, if you guys don't mind, like, what, like, what could we get a GoFundMe going? Because I think that would be amazing. Maybe, maybe. Uh, well, that would be the second uh, wildest thing that's happened to Brian Kelly at a press conference uh, in his tenure at LSU. Pass. So. No comment. <laughs> Pass. Gosh. Oh, man. Well, I'm excited. And and we didn't even get to Bobby Petrino's return to Arkansas this weekend, too. Uh, oh, my goodness. We've, maybe we save <laughs> yes. that for next week. Yeah. I think so. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. It's been a fun live show. We'll be here uh, every Monday, 10 a.m. So uh, set your alarm by it. Uh, it's been a fun week, a lot to talk about, and there'll be plenty to talk about next week. To stay tuned to the Andy Staple Show and Friends Feed. We'll be here on Mondays, Tuesdays. You have Power Hour. Later in the week, of course, we have the Texpert, uh, Sam Khan, Max Olson, our Prince of the Portal, uh, and then of course Andy and Ari and Ari's picks, and uh, Nicole's getting in on that mix from time to time. So, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks for listening. For Brody Miller, I'm David Ubbin. This has been Football and Grits. We'll see you guys next week. Ooh.